You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where I am going to get to interview actor Lee Ehrenberg. Yes, Lee was very generous with his time. Let me talk to him for a little over an hour uh, a few months back, and we talked about coronavirus and dealing with lockdown and all that kind of stuff. We talked about his career, which spans four decades, really, and talked about a lot of the different series that he was part of, some movies that he did, all kinds of stuff like that. So I had a really good time speaking with him, and I hope that you enjoy listening to the interview. In other news, not a whole lot is going on on my end. I just finished watching Jubei-chan, which is an anime with my youngest daughter. My oldest daughter and I are still watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're on season five right now. And my wife and I just watched a, a Godzilla movie. We saw Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 because we are slowly working our way through the entire Godzilla franchise. Every month or so, we watch another Godzilla movie. Uh, we watch them uncut and subtitled because we're kind of picky about our media that way, and that's the way that we like it. So that's been a lot of fun, too. But otherwise, not a whole lot to report. In a couple of weeks, I will be doing a virtual con. My friend Sean and his wife Laura have created a con that they're calling Pop Pop Con Con. It is going to be the weekend of October 16th through 18th. I'm doing about half a dozen panels across all three days. And so I really encourage you to check it out. I'll give more of a report later as far as exactly which panels that I'm doing, but it should be a lot of fun. Check out the panels that I'm doing. Check out the panels other people are doing. Talk about a lot of different topics. One of them, or two of the panels being Star Trek panels. I'm on both of them. So yeah, it's, it's a relatively small con, but uh, it should be a really good time. I know a lot of the people that are participating and they can be a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I think that it's going to be a good time listening to us sort of bounce stuff off of each other. But that's enough of me just nattering on here. We're going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast, and then we'll get straight to the interview with Lee Ehrenberg. Hey, weird podcast people, join us every week on the Flopcast for a half hour or so of silly conversation about comics, music, Saturday morning cartoons, old movies and TV shows, and chickens. It'll be our little secret. Find us at Flopcast.net and on the ESO Network. And we're back. 
And like I talked about at the top of the show, we have actor Lee Ehrenberg with us, who is a guy that if you have watched any TV or movies for the last 30 years, you've seen him in something. But primarily, I know him from Once Upon a Time. So Lee, thank you for coming on the 42 cast. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Hope everyone out there is uh, safe and sane today. Oh, yeah. At least at this house, we're safe. I can't say sane for sure. (laughs) (laughs) How are you uh, holding up with the COVID-19 and the lockdown and all that that's going on? Well, you know what? I am trying to make lemonade, the best Mm -hmm. lemonade possible out of all the lemons. Mm -hmm. And I just, you got to practice gratitude anyway in Hollywood. So I'm actually, this is the weird thing, right? When it first went down, my wife goes to me, oh, it's going to be like being in prison. And, and I don't know where I got the inspiration, but this is like how a lot of acting works. You just open up to like, what is the insp- what inspires you? I go, no, it's more like being an astronaut on the way to Mars. So from that moment, which I remember it distinctly, it was March uh, 17th. Mm-hmm. Okay? I imagined I was Matt Damon in The Martian. like so if you were doing some sort of space travel you have to have the discipline to like stay home luckily i live in a cool spot but i went with the astronaut imagery and i've been thriving dude i've been i'm doing some online theater with some old friends i'm doing zoom acting classes i am doing zoom karate i'm doing you know what i mean it's there's a way Mm -hmm. and i'm just having faith and yeah i believe in science so we're going to need something to let us all go back and do what I do anyway. We won't be filming for a while. Yeah. Well, and that's really cool that you're keeping a positive attitude like that and everything, because I've talked with some other people and they're all very much like, oh man, it's so rough and you know, this and that, yeah. and my waistline's going to expand and you know, like everybody's talking about all the negative about it, but you know, thinking, cause yeah, you're, you're exactly right. People on the international space station can't go outside or on a submarine on a yep. submarine. I live in a neighborhood where there's a couple one of my buddies is like ex special forces dude, and it's like he can't stay inside. And he's like, "How do you do it?" Because my wife, we live near a beach, and so my wife will take her social distancing but get her exercise. I'm staying in, mm-hmm. right? And it's just because of how I set my brain on it. And once I said that, I was like, "Oh, if I have to go to the grocery or do a run, it's like going on a spacewalk. I want to make sure it's like cool, you know?" Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I'm just, I, it's weird because a buddy of mine, I was going to go to China like this year for a buddy of mine who was studying over there and sort of been following it for a while. Anyway, I don't know. You know, we can get into it, but I'm staying positive as a general rule in life, Nathan. And that's the secret to the moments of happiness as an artist and as a, uh, as a human. So, it's interesting. These are challenging times. There's going to be, I heard there's going to be a mental health tsunami coming. And so be kind to people. I'm, I'm, and, you know, there's a reset where the grocery worker and the delivery guy and the nurses or teachers are valued by our society that puts the actor in the place. I used to always say the garbage man's more important than the movie star because movie stars don't like to pick stuff up. <laughs> there's people picking our stuff up behind us. props we drop yeah so just giving respect what a nice way to reset to give respect and then watch old movies and it's it's an interesting time bro yeah i could go on forever but it's like the it's a time i have four kind of rules or five that are helping me meditation movement 
doing boxing and my karate and it's fun and staying physical, doing work around the house. And then mastery, like learning to cook a new dish or be a bad painter or try and master a new thing. And then have meaningful conversation. Like I'm already connecting with you. You know, you're a heavy interview with your voice booming like that. You lure me in like Art Bell or something. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we have a mutual friend, Juliet, who introduced us, which was great. And, and you know, when I first met her at Dragon Con with some of her legendary cosplay and then mm. into her world, she's a legend to me of fandom and of the con world. And so when she said you were looking for people, I was like, okay, that's a solid recommendation because she's legit. My book, hundred percent legit. Oh yeah. I'm amazed. My, like, like my wife does a lot of cosplay, but Juliet, even when she's not going to a con, it seems like she has three or four costumes. She's like, yeah, at work today, I just threw on a costume. <laughs> just like, okay, first of all, that's cool. You can do that at work. And second of all, how do you have so many? She's got that chameleon quality where she can fool you too. Mm -hmm. You may not get it the first time around. No, but let's get started talking about your career and everything and, and start with a little background first. So how did you get into acting? You know, I mean, it was just like a, a you know, schoolboy actor. And that's kind of where I got the bug. But I grew up in Southern California, so there were a lot of movie stars, movie star kids around. It was a pretty exciting thing to do. And I was good at it. So it was like fun. So I think that was it. It was sort of my jock be ability was getting on the stage and playing characters very cool and i like the, i like the attention <laughs> yeah <laughs> see that i can totally sympathize with because yeah, when i was a kid I, that's why i like drama when I, I mean i never did anything with it but like when i was a kid that's what i loved so you know i, I totally get it of course i mean and, and, and understanding that and owning that mm -hmm. and i mean that's like maybe it's a little bit of an admission that it's like a shallow but then, of course, once you start reading the great plays, and I was a theater student and understanding the history of storytelling in our society from the ancient days and when it was a sacred part of society. And now, obviously, our movies and our Netflix and stuff are sustaining us. Mm -hmm. So we're in a very important role, again, of a way that when it's set properly, when it comes at the end or it's a, as a diversion or a way to relax, to recharge, to go back and try hard the next day. I mean, that's a responsible place for a storytellers to be. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally going off book here with this question, but you keep talking about storytelling and stuff like that. By any chance, have you ever played any tabletop role-playing? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I started, I was like D and D like, I mean, I've played a lot of board games. I was a lot of strategy games. I used to play all the old kind of like world war two strategy tank games and blitzkrieg and all these old, you know, games in the seventies. And yeah, I've been a gamer. I mean, I'm, I respect, I like games a lot and I haven't done as much in the last, I was more of a kid to mm -hmm. be honest with you. Once I got into pursuing the acting, it's probably around but for sure, by the time I hit high school, it was it took single-minded, single focus. Sure. For 20 years, every day, all day, the only thing I would think about was the play I would be working on with my theater company, The Actors Gang, mm -hmm. the old Actors Gang in Los Angeles. It's Tim Robbins. He's the artistic director and longtime kind of real sponsor of the group. But we were college mates. And so him and my other buddies, we started this theater company. And Kyle Gass, who's Cage and Tenacious D. I mean, Tenacious D started out of our theater company. I've known Jack since he was 12. So, I mean, it's like some heavy players. And that's like the single focus that it takes. So mm -hmm. gaming, yeah, you know, I would game 
like the guy isn't swingers playing hockey. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for me, that's like the closest thing because, you know, I do a lot of that where I'm the GM or the DM in gaming. So, you know, again, the storytelling aspect of it. DMing. I mean, what a great thing to say because Dungeons and Dragons, very cinematic experience. I was lucky enough to be in the movie. I mean, I don't say what you want about the film. I, you know, it wasn't the greatest maybe uh, that we wanted in terms of success of it because of how much we all love making it. <laughs> like it was maybe one of the most fun movies I've ever made to be in Prague, playing a and d dwarf, getting to hang with like Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax. And, you know, I got DM by Dave in a game at Gen Con in Milwaukee in like 2000. I mean, like, so I had some good, like, really fun experiences with like, D&D, for mm-hmm. sure, and experiencing, like, legendary DM stuff. That is very cool. Yeah. And we talked about before the show started that you met Tom Baker doing D&D. Yeah, Tom, he was the king of the elves. I forget the guy's name, the character's name in the movie. I mean, he was a prickly dude, and, you know, it's like... <laughs> Richard O'Brien, he was in the movie too, and he and I connected a lot more than Tom. Tom was like, I think, superior to this, like, these young filmmakers trying to do this. <laughs> I mean, that was my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I became a fan of, like, reverse fan, like, sort of became a Tom Baker fan. So then he became my favorite doctor, and I sort of connected some dots. I mean, I've been lucky, I sort of Anglophile with my friend Mackenzie Crook, obviously from Pirates being Garrett in the office and I sort of catching up on a lot of stuff, you know, obviously the, my connections through to English stuff through Kira or any of the pirate friends, you know, Jack Davenport on his great series, like the friends of England for all those years. And there's a lot of great stuff, you know, out there, brother. No, I know. See, I've been a doctor who fan since I was a little kid. So meeting Tom Baker to me would be like, I would be over the moon just because of the connection there. Yeah, see, like, for me, I was, I was oblivious, really, mostly to Doctor Who till after. Because, like I said, for 20 years or so, like, if, like, anything up until maybe 1978, I'm going to know, like, real well. But then after, like, then, I started getting, you have to, I sort of focusing in on making the art. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm catching back up on, say, some shows that maybe I wasn't in my wheelhouse. Because I'm more of like an action, comedy. Like the fantasy roles are roles that I landed. The Warriors of Virtue, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Mm-hmm. I became a fan of the genre after being in it. Same with Star Trek. I wasn't a Trekkie till I was in the show. <laughs> right? And then I became part of the world and I just invested in like, you know, hey, four and a half hours of makeup for, you know, all these days makes me part of the family, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, it's funny. You anticipated some of my next questions because I'm a really big Star Trek fan. And funny enough, yeah. my daughter and I, because uh, I've, I've been showing her Star Trek. We've been watching. It was a funny thing. I was just watching the original series one day just for myself. Uh-huh. And she resisted a lot of things that I've tried to get her to sit down and watch with me. How old is she? She is 13 now. Okay, my son is going to be 13 in July. So, okay, I get it. I understand the resistance. Yeah, I mean, this was a couple of years back when we started this. But, right, 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 but, but yeah. like, I tried to show her Doctor Who and it didn't take. And I tried getting her to watch Star Wars with me and it didn't take. And so yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like back off and not like try to get her to... You know, there were some things like Once Upon a Time that we watched together. Yeah. 
So I was going to, you know, sort of back off on that. And then one day I'm just watching original Star Trek for myself and she's in the room. She's playing on her iPad, you know, just normal stuff. And then like, I noticed that the iPad starts drooping and she's looking up more. Yeah. This is original, like original stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm talking about original first. Yeah. So it was Kirk Spock McCoy stuff. And I'm like, are you watching this? And, and she's like, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to capitalize on this. Cause I, you know, growing up, like I remember a time before next generation, I used to watch original series. And then when Next Gen came out, you know, I started watching that too. So we've been watching through like the whole of Star Trek from original to Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, you know, et cetera. And we just watched last night Force of Nature. Oh, which was the episode, uh, the one of the episodes that you were in as a Ferengi. Yeah, I was so, I'll be honest, those were such a world. I'm so thankful for that world, to be honest with you, and to be part of it because they still play all over. Right. So it's mm-hmm. nice, you know, and uh, obviously the fans are some of the coolest. My brother's like, he's actually, he's an electrical engineer who worked on like real, like a uh, X-ray telescope. He's, he was chief engineer on the James L Webb, the next big one to go up for NASA. And that is amazing. Yeah. I know. I know what you're talking about when you say the James L Webb. Yeah. Okay. My brother. Yeah. He was, he was the chief engineer and got it through the whole design, made sure all the stuff worked together. And he'd worked on Chandra before that, the X-ray. So anyway, I, had, I come from it, you know, the the real side of the science and to match it through the people's love at Star Trek. I mean, it ties me and my brother together in a cool way, which is always great. And um, see, that's the thing. I think that him, like using his brain and all the awards for his optics and lasers he's developed is way cooler than like being on Star Trek. But everyone <laughs> else is like all his PhD friends are like, dude, you're for Damon Bach. Yeah. So, that funny what I'm saying? It's like the reset. It's like, I see it from, they always say, Nathan, treat the superstar like a regular person. Mm-hmm. And the superstar should always treat the regular people like they're the superstar. And that's the, if that equation balances, then cool stuff happens both ways. People feel good. And uh, giving respect to get it is a big part of any kind of martial art, like karate or any discipline. You know, learning a certain skill, you, it comes with a certain responsibility. And yeah. so does being famous. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally get what you're saying because in any fandom, there's always the actors who are like, oh, I am so great. And oh, these fans, they're so pathetic. They're beneath me. And then there are the ones who are like, no, man, the fans are awesome. Like they do this and that, and whatever. And I think that people tend to like that attitude a lot more. You know what? When Johnny Depp tells you the fan, he goes, quote, man, the fans are the boss. And he, you know, that's the, he was top of the game when I heard him say that to me directly. I, Cause I was like, we had the longest red carpet and it took, it would be like this. It was, it was a real work and we got done and we were like, oh, yeah, high five or whatever. And he's like, yeah, the fans are the boss, man. You want to make sure to always respect that. And so that, but that's so true of the art because Acting is one of the only disciplines where if someone's not watching you, you're not actually doing it. Mm-hmm. The audience is, is integral into the actual performance. Yeah. Somebody has to listen. Somebody has to watch. Yeah, because in a lot of things, you know, people say like, oh, don't care what other people think. But with acting, it's kind of important to care what other people think. Well, no, you can't care what they think in terms of, and this is funny about the acting. You know, the actors and acting, this is a, actually a slight digression, bro, but it's about okay. the art of acting. Sure. And the art of acting is that it never matters what the actor is thinking. It only matters what the audience thinks the actor is thinking. Mm. For example, 
if you're a Once Upon a Time fan. In my dreamy episode, I remember me and Amy Acker late on a Friday night have to do our tender scene of, oh, I love you, I can't be with you, or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And play like, oh, we love and love. And actually, there was a lady or a guy cooking tacos outside. <laughs> and I was so hungry for a taco, and I think she was too. And it's like, we're all smelling the carne asada, and that's probably what we both were saying. Now we want, we want, we want our close-ups, but it looked like, I love you, I love you, you know? So... <laughs> Yeah, it only matters what the, what you can trick, not trick, but convince sure. your audience that you're thinking. Because yeah. you know, it's artifice. <laughs> oh, I totally want to get back to, to Dreamy and, and, and Nova. but right. uh, I didn't mean know. to digress, because the Star Trek, <laughs> but the Star Trek experience, the, the fandom, the actual kind of science and smartness of the writing, the deviousness, the legendary actors that have been part of it, the fact that I got to be in all four of the spinoffs with mm -hmm. fun different roles from Deep Space, the Next Gen, the Voyager, the Enterprise, playing a bunch of different aliens, really getting to know the makeup side of it and really inhabiting four and a half hour makeups. And I'm good at makeup. Those are intense. So it's a level of commitment that makes you feel like it's like a tattoo. You're part of it forever. Yeah. So with all that makeup on, do you find that it's hard to get the acting, you know, to convey what you want to convey? Or do you feel like, you know, it doesn't really restrict you in that way? You have to work it and you have to get yourself, once the makeup's applied, you have to get into the mirror. Mm. Do a lot of mask work coming out of the theater. I, in my actor's gang, we did a lot of work in Commedia and almost in every rehearsal from 1984 for me in the theater through when I got pirates, basically, is when I sort of became an emeritus kind of member of the company was in full costume and makeup. Mm. So you, I myself as a theater artist got to know about working in the mirror and what is my face doing? What story am I telling, right? And that's where the self-consciousness of the actor needs to go away and he must or she must think and be the character. Mm -hmm. So when they would give me the Ferengi teeth or the big, they called it the Ferengi butt head that would, and the big ears that would deprive you of your senses. You'd lose some hearing on it maybe mm -hmm. some smell, the teeth would go in and then you would have to get that Ferengi sound to get your lips up and around. Oh, Picard. <laughs> That's that part of it, the, the Picard, where I'm extending my lips forward is to get them up and around the denture to yeah. be able to get the sound. So, of course, you know, you have to work it in the mirror and practice and play. Playing is such a big part of uh, being an actor of doing your homework and getting up on that stage and listening to the other actors. What are they saying? What does it say about you being vulnerable enough to show? And your eyes play. And for the most part, you had to kind of go a little bit over to get through that latex. So it's not the most subtle performances, but you know, it's a very Shakespearean show. So you can, Star Trek, you're allowed to push it because there's urgency. We're in space, you know, we're, we're traveling in space. Yeah. So with Damon Bach, that was a character that had already been portrayed by uh, Frank Corsentino. Did you feel like leery of going into something that someone else had already played? I had no clue that they'd even done an earlier episode. I honestly did not. It's funny, it wasn't like they gave me the Bible or the backstory. I found this out afterwards and had to pretend like I knew it all along. <laughs> like, you know, it's one of those. I was like, yeah. what? Yeah, some fan I think I learned it at a convention once. And I was like, you're the second one? I was like, what? 
<laughs> and then I found out that Damon Bach was the most cunning character in the Pantheon and the arch enemy. And thank God I didn't know all that. I've been too much pressure. <laughs> but I don't know why it was recast. And I was just lucky. Maybe he was busy and I got lucky, you know. Yeah. That's a lot of this business is being right place, right time. Mm-hmm. And thank God for Junie Lowry Johnson because that casting directors are actors' biggest friends. Mm-hmm. And I got a crack at it and won it. But I love that part. I love playing that part. Of all the Ferengis, that was my favorite. Mm. Although I, I really enjoyed my deep space experience with my late friend Aaron and uh, and uh, Wallace Shawn, my great friend Armin. Oh yeah, you worked with Armin, but yeah, Wallace Shawn was in that one too. Yeah, yeah, Wally Sean, but I mean, I had a, but Wally had, I mean, you know, we had a couple bits together for sure. And, but the weird thing is, right? Like I did in um, Enterprise, that's the one I did with Jeff Combs. And me and Jeff worked for two, we, because we had two episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we did maybe 16 days. And I think I met him on like day 13 without his makeup in the parking lot at 4 a.m. Because you, you, once you go into the makeup, you have your own artist. You never see the other person, what they actually look like. Maybe, unless you get out of makeup at the exact moment. Mm. So it's weird. You could do a whole show uh, with someone, and they never see you in your real face when you're an alien on that show. Because you're in at 3 in the morning, 3.30 to start. You know, it's brutal, dude. Yeah, no, that's, I've, I've heard that from DVDs and whatnot when the actors talk about it, that it's like, yeah. And you think it's about somebody like a Michael Dorn or something where he's doing that like every day going right. in to have all that Klingon makeup put on and everything. That's, that's going to kill you. Well, exactly. It's, you know, it's going to be tough. You know, you're, but it's also what we do and it, you, the relationship, the symbiotic relationship between an actor and his makeup artist, it comes down to finding the right product, the right stuff that does both for the artist and for the actor's skin to be able to deal with the repetitive Mm. The application and the cleanup. I mean, the most extensive number of times I've done it was for pirates, of course. Mm-hmm. But my makeup was not as intense on pirates compared to the full application. It had more, I mean, I was had more makeup on, but in terms of body coverage, but obviously the Ferengi kind of head or the worst of those was the Tellarite of my Star Trek makeups. So that had a big fake beard too. And then the worst uh, experience makeup wise was on Voyager because I had a great character. I was a Malon space garbage man and with Ron Canada, who I love, a great actor. And I get killed by this, like a, it turned out to be a nuclear monster or something like a guy that got radiated and t- started killing everyone on the ship. Mm-hmm. So I have my one makeup on, my Malon that I got on at three in the morning. And then for my last death shot, I had to get like a burn face added to it for like one, one shot of me just laying there being found dead. And I was only in that makeup for maybe two hours, mm-hmm. but it was applied to stick for 12. So I had t- double layer to get off. And I just never forget, that was the one day I was like, oh, God, Lord, please forgive me, but I hate this right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can totally get that, too. So you, you were on, like you said, you were on Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise. Yeah. Did you feel like the experience of doing the shows was fairly similar because it's all Star Trek? Or did like each show have like its own particular flavor or feel to it? Oh, yeah, they all were different, of course. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it all depended on like the, you know, it, I think the, you know, any show is always dictated by your number one actor on the call sheet, the highest ranking number on the call sheet on the day. So say maybe if you're on a TV series and you got like one, two, three, four, five, six leads or whatever, right. Mm-hmm. The attitude of like whoever's highest, like when I'm the highest number, I'm on my best behavior. It's just funny because that's like, you know, that's why people like Johnny or Legends, Scotty Bakula, all the guys that are captains, you know, Pat Stewart, right? Because mm-hmm. they have, they, they get it. They're leading, they're leading. That's why they call it a lead actor. And your attitude, the two things I control are my attitude and my effort. When I work, I go, you know, the easiest way to get an actor to complain, you know what the easiest way is, Nathan? Uh, no. To give him a job. <laughs> So just don't do that. That's number one. That's number one. And then always remember, they pay you for the waiting. Mm. The acting I do for free. (laughs) So those two mindsets allow me to have a good time. Go to craft service, eat a taquito, schmooze with, uh, you know, some of the grips and learn, learn something about electricity. I love construction. On the side, I do construction with my brother-in-law. He's a big contractor. So for like we do a house to flip, I've learned, I've run paint crews, I do floors, I've done foundation work. And I'll tell you something, I have so much respect for crew members and laborers because I do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what I'm saying about like you, there's always a chance to learn um, and the attitude of the lead players dictate how the day is going to go. So whenever I'm the highest guy and every day for me, because that's how, what I bring, that's why I get hired a lot because I bring an energy that you can feel on this interview Mm -hmm. and it's infectious. Yeah. So you got to play with Patrick Stewart in some next generation episodes. So what was Patrick Stewart like? Legend, 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 class, class, class. But all those guys were, I mean, LeVar, Johnny Frakes. I mean, come on. That would have been it. That would, that would be the, the show, you know, Whoopi and everybody. I mean, that legend Spiner and come on, you know, it's just like, it goes deep. That show is deep with, with every single person is what I'm saying about that. The classy people, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I was lucky because one of my entries into the fandom, I shared a, a representation with someone that booked all those guys. So I was on the road with those guys a lot. Dragon Cons and the After Pirates. So whatever, 2008, some of those days. Star Trek was a big deal in those days, those cons. So yeah, much respect. And then, you know, my, my, but I'll tell you something, my favorite, you know, my favorite captain for me that I just loved the most was Scotty Bakula. That guy was just like, just one of the nicest dudes. And plus, because I'm a huge Quantum Leap fan. So yes. I, was fan, I fanboyed on him on that. Actually, I'm showing Quantum Leap to my <laughs> wife right now because she never saw it. What? And so we're, 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 we're going through Quantum Leap together. Oh, God, that show is just so good. I never saw it. I saw it, and I saw the reruns of it. Mm. I was like a daytime actor. I would watch it. I forget when it would, or even what channel, but it was somewhere like USA Network on rerun, and it would be mm-hmm. like one in the afternoon. And I would like just sit there for like, I watched them all. Maybe before binge was even available. Mm-hmm. No, I remember that. I remember it, it was on NBC originally, but yeah, I remember yeah. as soon as it was done on NBC, it went to USA and yeah. you could watch it. Cause yeah, I watched them like even though I had seen most of them 
on you know on their first run i was still yeah. re-watching it because it was such a good show i missed it because that was my like my like i didn't get my tv watching till i got way more tv watching as a you know movie and tv actor than i did as a theater guy because i was always in rehearsal mm-hmm. and when you're doing movie and tv you're sitting around a lot you have more like time in the hotel or you're in the gym or you're waiting for the uh, call time so you actually binge a lot more than in the trailer. I caught up on other actors' work and it's just like, because I watch, I, I want to learn from the other actors. You know, that's the key. Yeah. It's a learning game and to keep learning and keep growing. We're going to move on from Star Trek in a minute, but I just okay. wanted to know, are there any funny stories from working on Star Trek that you remember? I wasn't really, you know, I was a guest star. And I, when you're a guest star, you don't ever get to really... You may get one or two days where you feel like you belong. And I was a pretty confident actor, even as a young player. So maybe two to three days for me and meet some crew people. But you know your place. I do. So I would watch the hijinks. I wasn't really part of the hijinks as much, just like one step removed. Once I was on Pirates or certainly once upon a time, I was really felt like a team member. Mm-hmm. But Star Trek, I always just just let them have their moment and kind of stay to myself and stuff as much. But yeah, they had a great time on there. I mean, like Armin Shimmerman is one of the most generous actors. I had a big monologue on my deep space. I had, it was a page it was like a Iago ish monologue and it was with Quark and he and I rehearsed that for 30 minutes just to make sure I was comfortable. And he just, you know, gave me his time, you know, and, uh, so those moments are what I remember, the generosity of it, the, the ease of Patrick Stewart with his dialogue. And, and Kate Mulgrew inspired me to be a professional actor when I was a young theater performer, oh, 23 nice. years old. And her, she was at the time married to a theater director, and they'd come to see one of our Actors Gang shows. And we're at the bar afterwards, and I'm sitting next to her. And she's like, you got to quit your job selling computers tomorrow. That's what she said. And I did. I listen to her. So, I mean, there's Star Trek is the people are part of my world, you know, they're my heart in terms of we're actors and that would be a, their success made me happy. Very cool. So fast forwarding aways, uh, once upon a time, how did you get cast as grumpy man by luck? <laughs> Seriously. I was like, you know, it's like as actors, you, we go up and down, man. Sure. It's coming off a down period and I had started to book consistently. I started banging. So I knew something good was coming because I was starting to get my mojo back. I was in my class getting shot. I stay in class, stay sharp. And yeah, I went to an audition and they gave it to me fast. It happened fast, bro. I think between the first me getting the script, going in and going to on the way to out of town was a week, maybe less. Oh, nice. Well, it was exciting. <laughs> that show was, that show was, uh, oh, wow. That means a lot to me being part of that show. Well, yeah, I mean, because you were a mainstay, right? You know, you were doing all the, It was a season. great, great part. I mean, it's, it's, it was the perfect, yeah, it was perfect for me. I am, and I was, you know, it's like, it wasn't, there was acting, there was acting required, but the challenge was sort of just letting it flow and feeling comfortable. And it was just, that was the deal. It was a show about family and we were family. That, that's what you feel from the, why it resonated in your home with your kids and you, and it brought families together. Very, very special. Very special to be a Blunzer. Were you a Disney fan before doing Once? Well, yeah. You know, I grew up in Southern California, bro. So I started going to uh, the park 
very young. And my uncle, he was a bachelor until he was like 65, got married the first time at 65. He was one of the top swing dancers in really California, in the world, maybe even jazz guy, really into it. And in Disneyland had the Carnation Plaza where all the legendary swing bands would be every weekend. So Uncle Marv used to take us to Disneyland when, it, when we were kids, started when it was just general, you know, from the tickets first, like E-ticket, A, B, C, D, E, and all the way through. I still have a stack of general admission tickets for six bucks or eight bucks. <laughs> like, I still have like 10 left. You know, they're still good. Oh, so nice. yeah, I'm a Disney fan. So the Pirates of the Caribbean was really the dream come true. The grumpy thing was... You know, to have to be both a pirate and grumpy was beyond a dream. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. I would have gone Mr. Toad's Wild Ride anyway. That was always my favorite. <laughs> pirates pirates, and Mr. Toad's. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your favorite thing about playing Grumpy? Wow. I mean, my favorite thing about Grumpy was his relationship to Snow. Mm. You know, that at the end of the day, this irascible curmudgeon was the best i mean the best pit bull or the best hound dog for this this great character you know uh-huh. and that was what i think gave him his resonance was his backstory right mm-hmm. that he says it to snow the whole myth of the, the the dwarves and our axes that tell us our name i mean it was a you could really invest your imagination in these characters because they had the, the breath of the Disney and your childhood knowledge of fairy tales and great writing by Eddie and Adam of the modern kind of Lostian twist. So easy to suspend your disbelief, easy to believe you were these people. I love the look of Leroy, the lumberjack, sexy lumberjack look. I was comfy and always snuggly in his costumes. The boots fit well. And then Grumpy had his armor and he was, he was kind of like a bad dude, you know, in that world. He was a tough guy. Yeah. And playing a, playing a tough guy is kind of fun, you know, when you know you're going to swing an axe. It's, I'm built for that. Swinging swords and axes. That's, that's my thing. You know, those, are, those characters, of that heroic kind of character is inspiring for the performer. Yeah, I think all that comes through because it, one of the yeah. things one of the things that, you know, you get watching the show is that everybody seems to be having a great time. That's the key to the whole bit of, of being a performer. Mm-hmm. You're getting this opportunity. It's, it's, if you're going to ask the universe to give you one of the most shallow, egocentric kind of wishes granted, Lord, I want to be a movie star or a TV, you better enjoy it. <laughs> because, it's, because that is how you give respect back to the universe for the, you know, that's what gratitude is about. And it's, it's fun because when you take that positive attitude about it, then you're relaxed. You have to be vulnerable for the camera. It's going to see into your soul. Mm. And we might be asked to cry at three in the morning, or you have to, you know, know that we were all were in Vancouver. So we had all had traveled and everyone was from all over the world. And so it's kind of like being in a family. So it was interesting. You know, it's, 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 it was magical. I mean, that's like I say, it's hard to to overuse that word, but the show for its impact on the audience and the friends made beyond, beyond. So uh, you mentioned that Grumpy and Snow and that relationship was really special. Are there any other characters that you think that Grumpy worked really well opposite of? Oh, of course. I mean, well, I worked probably, I mean, the Snow. Mm -hmm. I think I worked well with everybody, to be honest with you, because it's like they all were 
they're great actors. But I mean, Josh, Prince Charming is my man and all my dwarf brothers. Mm-hmm. I loved any time I could get a scene with Lana, of course, because she's you know amazing. Jennifer Morrison. Yeah, it's like I could go down the whole list, Robert Carlyle. It's like you would be lucky. And this is no kind of, I'm not fluffing when I say this to you, Nathan, that you were stoked when you would read these scripts and then you'd get, oh man, I get to go with like Rumple in a scene or Mr. Gold mm-hmm. or you'd be, you get some barbs to Lana in a group scene or Raphael Sabarge or Tony, the Dwarf Brothers. You know, we had a lot of fun creating this show and it takes a good actor to be able to take like the fairy tale stuff and give it life to the modern audience. So to see the acting craft of Ginny or I loved when Megan was in, when Red Riding Hood was on a show. Anytime I got to work with Beverly, with Granny, and I had a real bond as friends. And so, yeah, those, those, those relationships off the screen of people is what carried on, too. It's like we were friends off. The boys would go go-karting, or we'd play golf, or we'd go to a hockey game or to dinner. And that brought this cast together, and it resonates on the screen. Yeah, no, that's nice to hear that you guys were doing stuff together off screen too, because like yeah. I say, it's it seems like everybody's snapping on that show, right? You know, it's just like there's, a, there's some spark. Yeah, it's a lot of spark. And also too, you know, there's a there's something interesting too about the writing in that when they would write a script, we get about 42 minutes of television, 42 minutes an hour with 18 minutes of commercials in the average kind of network hour. Mm-hmm. So if they write a 60-page script at a page a minute, you're looking at 18 pages of stuff that's going to get cut. So we learn to talk fast, <laughs> learn to think in the other guy's line uh-huh. and no pauses because they're going to cut the pauses unless it says pause and they're willing to use those seconds to tell that part of the story. You got to drive that train. And so that adds to it. Like when people are talking pretty quickly and picking up the cues and driving that energy around the room, like the boom, 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 boom going to create a nice set of energy and tension and all the stuff we're looking for as we again in the storytelling art we're building in the in the act structure we have we have to hit that moment every act in a scene we have to boom some transaction has to happen some information has to be relayed to the audience about this change of the story or a character's thought and so that's our job in terms of building this with using the director and obviously all the technical aspects of Once Upon a Time from the green screen to the horse guys and we'd be out there and the armorers and the prop makers. And holy cow, bro. Yeah. So you got to play with Amy Acker, which is something you mentioned a little bit earlier. Oh my God, yeah. So lucky, so lucky, dude. I mean, that she was my girlfriend that I got to pretend yes. like I loved Amy for, like, how do you not? She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. so smart, so talented. She's bad. Oh, you know, she's just like, she's a powerhouse and she fits so well into our world. And of course, then she cast in a person of interest and she was gone for us. But I got lucky and obviously legend, legend from all her work, right? Mm-hmm. She's a, a fanboy's dream, right, bro? Oh yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that was what I was going to ask though, because it seemed like, there was a story there, right? That like to keep telling like this story, like after the curse is broken and everything else. And so I wanted to know, like what, what was there originally going to be something and then it was lost because she left the show or do you not know? Yeah, I don't know. I think that we did have, they did play out a resolution on the DVD of the first season that came out. 
mm-hmm. where there's a, a video on there called Good Morning Storybrook, sort of like a Good Morning America. I only found out about it a few days before this interview, so I watched okay. it, you know, just yeah. to, yeah. Okay, so there was that little bit that we had, which, because she did get the other show, and she came back on our show, but I don't think I was even in scenes with her. So, yeah, it's interesting. I actually, like I say, grumpy, right? Once he, she was in love with Dreamy. So then once he changes and breaks his axe, he becomes grumpy, right? And grumpy's pain over the lost love is what gives him his essence. That's where his bitterness and his kind of anger is the way he sees the world because he just feels like he's screwed up. And he goes to Snow, I need my pain. It makes me who I am. It makes me grumpy. Because she wants to take the poison to forget falling in love, right? And Mm -hmm. he's like, no, what are you doing? So that part of their relationship, he has the same relationship with Belle. He's able to go, hey, what are you doing? She helps him when he's dreamy and he never forgets. Mm -hmm. So he has that unique, what I love about him is he has that, all his friends are the princesses yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah how unfortunate for you it's <laughs> terrifying it's terrifying oh man yeah he's a chill, he's a chill guy he gets the he's, all his friends are the hotties you know yeah <laughs> yeah no it's just like as a viewer you know i always wanted that to be revisited once they both have their memories and realizing yeah, that for sure yeah, they would have been great. They would have been a great couple because they were kind to each other, you know? Yeah. Also, having Amy Acker on the show more would be, you know, fine. You know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, to me, to me, she's just, you know, like, I, I would just say she's so good as an actor and such an amazing, like, I think she's a powerhouse woman and beautiful. So, yeah, she was missed very much. <laughs> <laughs> So if you had a chance to write an episode about Grumpy, what would you want to happen in it? Oh, you know, um, wow. I don't know. It doesn't say writer by my name. Sure. <laughs> I sometimes wonder this though, as an actor, do you go like, man, cause I've been thinking about this character for seven years. I think that you should do this. I think if I, you know, if, if I had a producer credit and it was part of my responsibility to generate that, I might be able to come up with something really good. I mean, for me, it would have been, I wouldn't have mind seeing a Pintel Captain Jack as the baddies mm. versus Grumpy, where I could be in a scene with versus the two guys, maybe both in makeup even, mm-hmm. <laughs> like something like that. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm even that good of an actor to pull something like that off. So that's a little scary and intimidating. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I tend to fall back on the, did you ever watch Extras? I did not. Okay, there's a great scene, you can find the clip, where Ian McKellen is going to explain the art of acting to, like, Ricky Gervais's character, who's an extra. And it comes down to, like, you get this thing called the script. You open it up. You see where your character is, and you say what he says it says he says, you know? So I kind of like that. I kind of like just being a super marionette. <laughs> oh, that's nice, yeah. It's freeing. It's freeing. Sure. Well, I mean, and maybe this is the same answer then, but do you like to think that Grumpy got his happy ending? Uh, well, at the end of the sh- show, I think he's. I think they're all kind of happy. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think there's optimism in the world at the end there. I mean, I think he learned that he's not going to get his own personal kind of 
maybe not, but I think he gets, he started, he was a character that got joy out of other people's happiness. He was always at the party, Granny's, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, no, I don't, I don't know if he got his personal at the end of the day. He'd probably be like, oh, I have some regrets, but yeah. What do you think? I don't know. No, I mean, I wanted to know what you thought because, you know, like I say, if I'm writing fan fiction, I'm putting Grumpy and Nova th- together, but, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and the fan fiction for sure, but I'm just saying it's like, of course, you know, who doesn't want a happy ending, you know, of life and sailing the seas with Amy Ackers? That's a good one <laughs> on the list of fantasies. But there's something, you know, about storytelling. Again, I keep coming back. It's my theme today. Bittersweet is a good one. Bittersweet hits you in a in another part of the stomach, you know, mm-hmm. and it's another way to we're in the emotion business, right? And then the emotion business and creating that emotion, if you can get it, it's like, ooh, that's a good. It's like if you're a cook, that they call it, they call it umami, but that those crusty bits and where all that flavor is concentrated, it's like, wow, it's the same thing to hit that moment. And Grumpy's bittersweet is his essence, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm fine with a bittersweet ending for him. Okay, no, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, definitely for a story while it's going on. Yeah, for sure, dude, write it up. (laughs) If it was going to go season 11, for sure, we have eight kids and our own, you know, the whole thing. Once upon a time, the next generation. For sure. And and I was, I'm game for that too, because like those characters could go for a long time. Like I said, you could have Mm -hmm. Spider-Man show up, Disney owns Marvel, they got all those Lucas characters that could be in there and you could have some, it could go wild. It could be Doctor Who times 20. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny that you went there because I used to make those comments about, hey, you know, Disney owns Marvel now. Some of those characters could show up in Storybrooke. Well, we talked about it at ours, you know, we do the creation cons. We'll get asked by the fans, like, who, what villain? I always go Darth Vader for sure. Mm. Darth Vader versus Lana? I would pay to see that. That would be great. And because, you know, one of the things that Once Upon a Time does is they basically say, like, yeah, like, every fictional world has its own universe out there. Yeah, and it's all happening in the same, you know, time is relative, right? You're, right. We're telling these visual tales where time, it's into the eye of the, the director and the storyteller. You can write, we write flashback, we write time. People can have a, a thought that takes them back in time. So, yeah, why not? Why not m- mash it up? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you could, could you imagine Thor... You know, somehow the, the hammer's in there or something. Yeah. I mean, there's so many places you could go with that. How about those, you know, and once, I mean, I loved when I was with Jorge Garcia. I mean, talk about that. It was so fun when he was with the giant episodes and mm-hmm. the cool, the frozen I liked. Yeah. People were went both ways on that, but I was like, that was, that took, and my number one favorite app, which should probably shock you, but it's the musical episode. <laughs> Yeah, see, I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I was. Here's the thing: I felt like Once Upon a Time allowed, because a lot of times with musicals, I'm usually like, "Well, why are these people singing and dancing right now?" But with that one, it was part of the story, right? Like there was this magical thing going on that was causing the singing and dancing, and I thought that that was a nice way of making it work within the universe and everything. So it's a fun Absolutely. one. But it was fun. Yeah, it was fun, and you know, it's. It, when we did it, it was like season six or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, we should have done one a year. <laughs> the talent of that cast too. People were yeah, yeah. really talented. And I was like, wow, it was really fun. I really appreciated that there was a different genre for everybody's song also. So it was yeah, like, you know, different shocking. kinds of music. One of my favorite bits in the whole show was the dwarf conga line at the wedding at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I never forget being in the tux and 
because I pitched it early in the day and Ron Underwood, the director, was like, I don't know, just yet. And then he came to me like two hours later. He goes, now is the conga line. You guys now have had a few drinks, right, at the wedding. And it was like, oh, so much fun. Then the curse shows up. That was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, very cool. So if you had a choice to have been any character on Once Upon a Time, would you have? who would you have liked to have been besides Grumpy? Oh, besides? I mean, Rumple. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have done nearly what Bobby did with it at all, I don't think. And I mean, I could have, you know, it would have been a, a lot of work with my coach for sure. But I love that character. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, there's a lot of fun ones, really. But of the of the main of the main guys, I mean that that was just a real fun part. But I was very happy with my role, and I had very little. I never actually had much envy. Like I don't get that as much. I learned that as a young actor. When you say yes to the gig, you got to just put others. You know, it doesn't matter. The spear carrier thinks he's. You got to be the best spear carrier. Mm-hmm. I worked in this one style. That's why, because I come out of the theater, right? And there's a difference because we got to go put on a show. We're all getting out there in front of those people. Right. And so when you're show people, that's no joke. We're show people, you know, I'm an entertainer. Mm-hmm. So there's a responsibility. It's funny when you come from the theater, sometimes the best shows are those stormy nights where there's six people in the theater because they want to be there. And, you know, LA theater, you know, we have this thing you can vote. Like if there's more actors in the show than, than theater, than theater patrons, you can say, okay, we're not doing it tonight. I don't think I've ever really been in a show that's ever said they wouldn't do it for the 10 people that showed, you know, because we're show people. What else are we going to do? You know, let's do it. Yeah. You've already got the time blocked off for the evening. Exactly. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But Rumple, to give you an answer, I just thought that was a, what a character. And yeah. again, tapping into the makeup and the and the dialects and all the stuff I love, you know, the tough guy stuff and it's really the coward and what a, what a character. Yeah. But yeah, like you say, I mean, people seem to have been cast where they belonged on that show. Robert Carlyle is a great actor. Mm-hmm. That dude is great. I mean, he's on the, he's a other, like, honestly, he's someone that other actors aspire He's on that level. I put him on a level with the greats like Javier Bardem and like the, these heavy players. Bobby brings it with that intensity and that ease, that ease. He just, he is those characters. And if you see, you know, Train Spotting or any of his other stuff, Full Monty, he's always different. Bond villain. Yeah, well, I mean, like that barely restrained anger that he does is, you know, as Rumple, he's all over the place. He's the imp. He's just having a good time. But as Mr. Gold, that sort of like anger that you just like get behind the eyes of just barely restrained when he's upset about something. It's, it's so good. Yeah. His simmer, his simmer is like, a, it's maybe one of the best simmers out there. Mm-hmm. Kind of like up there with like a Denzel or somebody that simmer. Yeah. That's what I'm saying about like the these these actors where I, I I push too hard sometimes in those moments and they're just able to like ease and let it flow and trust that they're bad enough to like put that moment out there. Hmm. That's the key. That's why I'm in class and they're teaching the class. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I know we've mostly focused on Star Trek and Once Upon a Time, but and I know you've brought up Pirates of the Caribbean, but what are other things in your career that you are really like, oh, these, these were like the high moments for me. I got a lot of good ones, you know? I mean, well, first getting my first movies and stuff, those were always good. Like Tape Heads would do with Johnny Cusack and Tim Robbins, and those guys helped me break into the business way, way, way back. 
My first TV show was Perfect Strangers. I loved Perfect Strangers. And then, so that was the like late 80s. And then I, you know, I did a lot, of, a lot of work, a lot of guest stars, Night Court, a lot of popping these old Step by Step and Dear John and all these old, great old shows. And then I got a Tales from the Crypt in 1990, my first leading role. And that was sort of my first big one. Tales from the Crypt is called For Crying Out Loud. Sam Kinison's My Conscience. I Killed Katie Seagal. After that, the next kind of really breakthrough was getting on Seinfeld. Then from Seinfeld, yes, then I went and did Warriors of Virtue in China. I did a lot of, you know, more like TV movie bad guys and kind of like henchmen fun, you know. Did a lot of the double acts to set up the Pintel and Rigetti, but I was in like V.I. Warshawski with Kathleen Turner where I was paired up like the little guy and the big guy or Warriors of Virtue, I did a double act with a guy as we were the Dullard and Mantos, the two henchmen of the main general. So I fit into that kind of like, you got to be typecast. So those were the earlier kind of stuff. Then that was sort of the, when I started getting the Star Trek mid-90s. And then in the late 90s, I got this show called Action. I was on Fox. And it's one of my favorite shows of all time. It's brilliant, wicked satire about Hollywood starring Jay Moore, Ileana Douglas, Buddy Hackett. And I played the main bad guy, the head of the studio. And then after that's when I got Pirates. So sort of that's in a nutshell, the sort of main kind of box checkers along the way. I got Dungeons and Dragons too. So I got D&D and I did that, which was so fun with Marlon Wayans and Bruce Payne and Justin Whalen and Zoe McClellan. And we all had, it was Prague for like six months. And then I came back and got action did that show and then after that was when the pirates basically started and about a year later then i did pirates and then once now i'm looking for my next one bro sure yeah <laughs> yeah that's where i'm at now well every other actor going oh what's happening now <laughs> <laughs> yeah unfortunately the times are not good for that so well, right my now. next show is zooming for godot i'm doing a production with my buds called zooming for godot and it's our take on the, the situation with a little samuel beckett and mm. so I'll let, I'll let you know when that's coming out. I'll email you. Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to ask. Like, I know that things are on hold right now. People aren't able to do much, but what are you doing? You know, like, what have you done? You know, that might be coming out soon that you were able to finish before or that was in process. Well, I mean, all the stuff that was sort of going, I mean, stuff that was going on, I was like sort of nda on. So we're sort of waiting on like me talking about that. And, you know, the weird thing is, you know, with certain aspect of like the, the VO part of the business is still going on. And people are able to record remotely. So there's still some acting happening. But I'm like, yeah, I'm doing some Zoom theater with some friends. And I'm excited just to say some words and kind of do something different. I've been taking my acting class on Zoom as well. Doing great scenes from all kinds of stuff with my teacher. And, you know, just staying sharp. That's real important. And, yeah, who knows? Done some virtual conventions. I'm doing a bunch of stuff on Cameo if anyone needs a birthday shout out. And like I said, I'm trying to make lemonade, the best lemonade possible in the COVID lemons, you know? Sure. Yeah. No. Well, how does Zoom theater work? Well, I mean, we're, we're figuring that out, to be honest oh, with you. okay. But no, I mean, it's going to be tremendous. But I mean, to learn all the tricks of Zoom, to be able to do certain things about knowing where the boxes pop up and how do we play this comedy and these words uh, effectively and use what we have limited to the range of our cameras and what it sees and what can we do with virtual backdrops? What can we cut in? What other stuff is out there of platforms so that we can pre-record some bits maybe and have some live? There's a lot of stuff we can do that'll make, make for a, 
you know, we're, we're looking to make an hour package max, 45 to an hour for like a nice one act piece. And uh, we're just basically just being creative and killing some time that we're going to entertain. And my friend, Ron Campbell, legendary American theater actor, Cirque du Soleil clown, Matt Walker, Jeffrey Wiseman from Back to the Future. It's like, these are real great actors and creative people. So it's just fun to hang out and have like, you know, what's the, how many conversations have you had with people you haven't talked to in a while over this you know, quarantine, right? So yeah. sort of started like that. And then we're like, hey, what are we all doing? You know, <laughs> we're all stuck in this existential. What better? We all love uh, Samuel Beckett for talking about the existential. Yeah, no, though, that's really cool. Because, yeah, that was something I hadn't even thought about is trying to use like, well, what medium do we have? You know, like, hey, we have Zoom. Well, people are doing all these concerts and benefits and it's out there. It's been going on, you know, but it's how do we, you know, when you're a live performer, if you're like a, you perform in nightclubs or in bars or you're a rock star, I mean, that's not happening for a while. Yeah, I know like some audio drama type stuff is happening too, but that's a lot easier, right? Because everybody can just sit in their own home. Well, everyone's going to be doing everything. They did Saturday Night Live from home, right? So, yeah, there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. No, it's just uh, with like doing an ensemble kind of thing. That just seems like it would be a lot more complex. Well, it's a, we're rehearsing a lot. We have to rehearse a lot. And we're still developing our script at this point, taking the Beckett, taking the pieces that we want, adding our own kind of layers of comedy, COVID comedy, if you will, about the quarantine, what it means as artists, relating man's struggle right now against the unseen, if you will, mm. you know, the changes and everything and how it already ties already into this script that was written many, many years ago and has been done thousands of times. So the challenge is great. And then, so we'll, yeah, we'll work through bits and we establish, cause you can pop your video in, you can pop your video out. You can pop your video in to comment on someone else's action. You can be in gallery view versus full screen for certain stuff. You can call in on your cell phone and have a s- extra cameras or other things happening while you're on your computer. So there's a lot, you know, I mean, I think. And there's been a, already a production, there was a production of Anne Frank done in Minneapolis that I saw a review of, and I'm going to have to research into to kind of maybe see what techie stuff they came up with. But there's sort of other studio that tie in, that's, I think, with the Zoom to allow for, like I said, editing for because it got to be for all these multimedia. They're teaching university classes on it. So, right. yeah, it's where we're at right now. People are going to jump on it. After we got over our woe is me, we have to get on with like the, let's start getting on, getting on. Right. And when you're an actor, it's very much like when I was a young performer going through Europe, you know, with doing mine with my friends. And we'd put our hat out. And if we made like 40 euros, we were eating that night. So same thing now, you know. Yeah, well, it's nice. Yeah, like you say, I mean, you know, your attitude during all this going on and being able to do some work and everything, that's fantastic. I mean, I got, I got no other choice. Uh, <laughs> I, got, I don't have another choice. I mean, I, yeah. it's, it's like, dude, 60,000 people per- perished, you know? I mean, that's a lot for me in a yeah. month, you know? And, and it's like I have a healthy respect for science. And, and so for as much as I want to be out there, as much as I'm like, you know, I lost opportunity too. It's like it's going to be tough for everyone financially. It's crazy. But I'm staying positive and ha- keeping the faith. That's what faith means. Right. That's a big part of what an artist's journey is about is faith mm-hmm. because there's so much uncertainty and so much rejection and it's 
sometimes, you know, it's meant to be for a reason. I got pirates, right? I needed a job so bad, dude. Mm. And there was a Three's Company TV movie. It's about Three's Company. And I played a big producer on that show, Action, that I told you about. So this was just after that. They called up, hey, we need a producer, like a 1970s TV producer, produced Three's Company. We, want, we, we think you want it, but you got to come in. You're the only actor, but we want you to come to a meeting. This, I needed a job bad, right? Mm-hmm. And I show up Monday for this audition, and there's one other actor there. with two guys to go for this part, not just me. It wasn't just an eyeball check. And I was like, oh, man, this other dude is way better. He's going to get it. And he did, right? And then I leave all bummed. I didn't get this TV movie, uh, you know? And as soon as I walk in the door, it was the day of the fax machine. Mm. My fax starts spitting out this next audition. And it's like a pirate thing, huh? Oh, blah, blah, blah. hello, puppy. <laughs> what? And that was the rest of history, right? So sure. what a lesson in faith. I can always remember the moment of that dejection turning into, well, I like this better. Johnny Depp, wait a minute. So when I look back, I'm like, whoa, I dodged a bullet. If I'd gotten that three's company, I wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't even have looked at the facts, mm-hmm. potentially. I mean, I probably would have tried to get both of them. And maybe I would have sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for my storytelling and for the faith part of it, you know, mm-hmm. for my, uh, my parable here, right. my sermonizing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very nice. Well, Lee, I, I'm sorry we went a little bit over, but thank you for being so generous with your time. I didn't even notice, Nathan, you're a pro. You make it easy. You inspire people to talk to. Your voice is powerful for this medium. You are a, an effective questioner, and you inspired me to talk too much. Well, th- well, well thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to stay safe, my friend, and thanks to all your uh, listeners and, and success on all your podcasting. And I look forward to hearing how you cut it all together. Man. All right. Thanks. And I will definitely let you know when the uh, episode drops. Okay, buddy. Keep in touch. And that's it for our interview with Lee Ehrenberg. Lee, if you're listening to this, I just want to thank you again for being so generous with your time and also being so generous by giving us some insight into how you think about acting and talking about all the different things that you've been working on and especially about Star Trek and Once Upon a Time. So thank you again and hopefully we can have you on the show again some other time. Of course, I'm also interested in what you listening to the podcast want as well. So let me know. Do you want to see more interview episodes? What have you liked about the interview episodes that we've done so far? Are there particular people that you want me to interview? You can let us know that in a variety of ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to tweet to us at 42cast. Another way is to go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. Yet another way is to go to our website at 42cast.com and to leave some comments there. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called now. Another way that you can support the show is to contribute to the ESO Network Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash ESO Network. It is a way of helping all the shows on the ESO Network, not just the 42cast. But if you have a little bit of money that you can give, It gives you access to exclusive episodes, and it's just a way that you can support all the shows on the network, help keep us doing what we're doing. I also want to remind everybody about Pop Pop Con Con. That is the con that my friend Sean is putting on. It is a completely virtual con. It is composed of many panels, and I will be contributing to several of those panels. And you can go there by looking for Pop Pop Con Con on Facebook. There is an event there for it. 
I'll also be posting links on the 42cast.com Facebook page, so you can check it out there. But yeah, that's it's just a bunch of virtual panels. It's a way for us to keep talking, to have fun during this time. I'm sure Sean and Laura will be talking about their Pop Cycled Bobbles business as well, but that'll just be in between the panels. So you can listen to any of the panels as they're going on and have a good time with that. All right, but that brings our episode to a wrap here. Join us back next week when Doug Jones will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2020 got a question for the ultimate answer contact us at everything at 42 cast.com theme music is sharper swords by brandon ellis check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com the 42 cast is a proud member of the eso network This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.